Your goal, this, this shocks people by the way, is not to create sales. Your mindset should not be around creating a bunch of sales. It should be collecting data because in Be A Wolf Biz, like I'm trying to teach people how to build long-term sustainable businesses. And if you don't have that foundation of collected data to begin with, to, to make your decisions on your product offering, then you're not going to be a long-term business. We've had a few print-on-demand experts on the show thus far, ranging from individuals who are experts on using the platform to those who are running a service to make the operation easier. Although we haven't talked to anybody who actually runs the websites, we should get on that. Anyways, I'm delighted today to get to the expertise of Brittany Lewis, who is among the top 1% of sellers on Etsy. If you're interested in the platform, this is the episode for you. But otherwise, it's a good chance to really understand what Etsy is capable of in delivering you creative and financial freedom. Brittany Lewis, it is good to have you here on Ecomonics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited to, to talk to you as well. Uh, I'll be able to pick up on a recurring theme that uh, I've touched on here and there throughout it. And also, I just want to get my obligatory commentary on the background bit out of the way. Uh, it, it almost looks like monochromatic, like to the point where if you were to run a black and white filter on your background, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to distinguish any. Yeah, <laughs> we, we moved into an apartment as well. And like any apartment made past like 2015 is all just like uh, black and white. So we have this one yeah. red table in the middle. It makes it stick out. That's so funny. I actually, I didn't plan it this way, but once I found that it was kind of like all the same, I was like, oh, I'm going to record everything in front of this. I actually really like it. So it's funny. Yeah, that yeah, it's, it's, yeah it pops. So yeah, it, it checks out. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So got that one out of the way. Just wanted to, I mean, I'm a visual guy, right? So I just, yeah, it's not a great Thomas. <laughs> All right, here we go. Opening question is tell us what you do and what you're up to these days. Yes. So my name is Brittany Lewis. I am the creator and owner of uh, Be A Wolf Biz, where I teach Etsy sellers how to sell print on demand clothing, home decor products in general. Uh, I've been doing it since 2014. I've had my own Etsy shop since 2014. And I got into print on demand about five years ago. And it was like a saving grace because uh, for those that aren't aware, print on demand has, uh, it, it's basically like a production partner who uh, does all of your production for you, takes all of the creation off of your plate and prints and ships things directly to your customers. So once I discovered, uh, I think I started with printful.com. Um, I had prior to that been doing all my own screen printing and like hand do hand painting and doing all this different stuff that would literally take like 12 hours a day. <laughs> I love I loved Etsy. I love selling, but at the same time, it gets very tiring. So when I discovered print on demand, it was game over. It was the best thing ever. And uh, just last year, I started Be A Wolf Biz. Um, I've been consulting for about four years, but I created Be A Wolf Biz for course creation uh, specifically. And it's been such a wild ride. So much fun. I love my Be A Wolf Bam. Um, there's just so much demand around it right now because everybody wants to know, you know, especially with the pandemic happening and everybody looking for work. Um, everybody wants to do stuff they love and that's fun. And print on demand is such a great opportunity for people um, in order to expand and, and quit their jobs and go full time if they want. To. It does take work, but that's possible. Okay. Okay. Something that stuck out to me, uh, and this is a silly question, but um, was is Beowulf, is it by any chance a reference to the literary figure Beowulf? It is not. It is okay. not. I get, I, I get um, guesses like this all the time. It's so interesting to see what people guess. So that's what I actually haven't heard before. Um, yeah, I did. Sorry, but I, I did have like a secondary one. I said, okay, this yes, one's okay. not as good. It's like, there, it's the it's a slang term, bay, uh, which by the way, I don't actually know what it refers to, but I thought like bay wolf. So that was my, 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 my backup guess. So be a wolf literally means be a wolf. Some people call me like, Bea Wolf or whatever, but it is Bea Wolf. Um, and it actually came from a book that I read called Women Who Run With Wolves. And I have been really into just that whole paradigm of, of, you know, personal power and being able to come up against anything in your life that's, that's challenging with that wolf mentality, just like whatever it takes, we're going to get there, we're going to do it. And um, that was really something that when I first started teaching people how to sell on Etsy, um, my approach was very different than most people that teach Etsy. They're very, a little bit more delicate, a little bit more um, centered around creating sales um, in softer ways. And I was always just like, I want to get it done. I want to help people get it done and, and have more of that um, intensity behind it of like, how can we get it done as fast as possible? So that's why, where that name comes from. Sorry for the background noise. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> no worries. Uh, it, it sounds like something like a Tupperware container full of 
I don't know, <laughs> sandbags. Uh, no, no, no big deal. I, I, it's it's a, it's a fair trade. We've got, we've got an hour of your highly valuable time. We have to put up. We got the I've got some construction going on in the background. Not a big deal, uh, but I appreciate uh, uh, acknowledging it. Uh, actually, you know, it, so I mean, this is this is one of those times where um, I, I'm asking something that I don't really plan to ask, but I do like the psychology of it. See, like I had this this realization somewhere on the lines that I really identified with spiders um, because a you know they they are literally the only. Uh, well, not the only creature, but one of the few creatures that are known to just like hang out them and koalas. But they also have they spin webs, and so they're also literal networkers. And they and they let things come to them. And you know, being in the position that I am, I take great pride in being a networker and trying to connect people to one another. Which side note, by the way, let me know if you want me to connect with anybody who's been on the show before. Happy to do that. Um, so once I, that happened, two things happened. Once I realized that two things happened, one, it made me reflect on my past and how there was such significance to it. And then going forward, it changed the way that I was viewing things. And I continued to um, facilitate that more because it was a, a truth that I discovered about myself. And, I, and I'd like to hear about that with you and wolves is like at what point the 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 wolf mentality uh reach you and what did you uh, acknowledge about your past that uh had confirmed this truth that you now uh, pursuing into your future yeah so that's super interesting because it's definitely something that i have been learning as i go um from childhood i have always been like really a go-getter and super ambitious and very much so um like intense. Like I want what I want and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. And I've been learning over the last few years that I, I've always known that about myself, but I've also been learning there's a big element of trust and self-trust and trust in the way that your life is unfolding. That really matters a lot. And so um, for me, like the be a wolf biz thing doesn't necessarily just mean always running through walls and like sacrificing your personal peace and, and, and every uh, sacrificing everything in order to get what you want. It's, it's more of a delicate balance between, um, being able to learn intuitively, like when you should really go for things and push hard, when you should rest, when you should follow your, um, follow your bliss and, and when you should maybe go a little harder on things that you don't want to do. Like it's such a balance and it's not always rainbows and butterflies. It sucks sometimes, you know, entrepreneur entrepreneurship in general is not always super fun, but I think just like anything in life, there's a balance. And so it's not always just about pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, but it's, it's learning how to navigate wherever you're at in your life and play your cards to the best of your ability. Uh, because everybody is given different gifts, you're given different abilities, and you have to learn how to leverage those things in a very balanced way. And one association that uh, I, uh, I I'm I'm considering too is you know we we when we think of the wolf we think of the hunter archetype uh, the person who goes for what they want but wolves aren't hunting twenty four seven they do have their downtime they do I, I I I've never seen it I don't know if this is true but I assume there's times where they're even playing amongst each other within the pack so I, they're like like you're saying with balance even for something that we associate with ferocity also has their own downtime as well. Yeah, that's perfectly said. And, and it's always a balance, like I said, and, and uh, wolves, especially um, like with female wolves, they're the leader of the pack and they're very intense when they need to be, but they're also loving and nurturing and understanding. And um, I, I love that dichotomy. And I think it's so true for, for everybody's lives as well. You have to find the balance and you have to go with the flow sometimes. And sometimes you do have to push. And I think it's really interesting. It's super complex, but I think it's really interesting. And so um, I love that that's such an integral part of my business. Here's a question that I wanted to uh, pick up on throughout my. Uh, <laughs> so there's like there's like B plots, there's like C plots that go on in this show, and one of, and one of the, the the secondary plots is uh, in addition to me figuring out what to do with my own um, uh, business prospects is also uh, helping my girlfriend do the same. Um, she's an exceedingly talented artist, far more than me, at least like a 10x uh, equivalency, and. I, I, I want her to, to take that to the next level. Interestingly, before I even joined e-commerce altogether, she was already doing some print-on-demand stuff on, on Redbubble and Zazzle. So she's already had a little bit of experience in this. Um, but what's great is that I get to talk to people and hear different strategies. So we, we know that uh, Etsy is your, is your bread and butter. You're one of the top sellers on the platform. Um, so congratulations. And it's, uh, it's great to, uh, to know that I can pick your brain for the, for the next uh, 50 minutes. But we do get a lot of opinions on it. So for instance, one opinion that we've gotten prior is that 
um, the best place to centralize your activity would be a website because you have your own platform, you have full control, and you can then branch out into other areas if need be. So what I, I but I, 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 and I ponder that. And, and there are limiting factors to it because now you have maintenance and there's a lot more costs involved running a website. Uh, and then you don't have the, uh, you don't have the same inherent marketing that a popular platform like Etsy has. So not to answer the entire question for you, but anyways, uh, can Etsy act as the central location for a seller? And if so, how do you do it? So this is something I talk about with people constantly because um, my I recently held a workshop called burning the old map. And it's like, let's get rid of the way that everybody else is teaching you how to do print on demand. Let's wipe that paradigm clean and let's start from a different area. Because um, since 2014, I built my shops entirely organically, no paid ads, no nothing. Like I, I've had paid ads, but they are a very negligible part of what I um, have done in revenue. And so I have leveraged organic, the organic Etsy traffic stream, which is now 80 million people per year. And so mm -hmm. I think when people go into selling on Etsy, they don't realize the fact that that traffic stream is enough to sustain a full-time business. Uh, I don't recommend putting all of your eggs in one basket and just having an Etsy shop. Of course, you know, after a few months, it's probably a good idea to also build a website uh, because if anything were to happen to your shop on Etsy, you don't own that. Etsy has full control over that. Um, but it's also not as scary as many people think it is. Um, but anyways, I've you know been really adamant about people trusting in the fact that uh, you can build a business. You just need to know the right information. So the reason why I push Etsy so much is because I know that traffic stream is there and I know how difficult it is to drive traffic to a freestanding website. I liken it to, you know, building a shop within a super busy mall or building a standalone brick and mortar shop. That's miles away from the mall that you literally have to convince people and drive that traffic to. It's the same thing on the web. Like why not create an Etsy shop, which is in a mall filled with 80,000 or 80 million people per year, uh, as opposed to building your own thing on a website. And I think people are shocked most of the time. I don't think I know they're shocked when they open their own website and they're like, Whoa, no one's buying anything. And it's like, right. Because that's just not the way work. Um, unless you have a big ads budget or you have a big social media. And I, of course people are doing it. Of course people build amazing big retail websites. I'm not saying that it's not possible. Um, but for me and my experience and the angle at which I get sort of come at with be a wolf biz is Etsy is the place at least to test your product offering. Why not use a platform that's in a very busy mall as I, my metaphor is structured in order to easily be able to validate your own products. It's a really big part of my process and the way that I teach people how to sell on print on demand is you're not creating stuff, putting it on a website and then being like, okay, where is everybody? You have to put out products based on your research of not only what's currently trending and hot, but what customers are actively searching for on Etsy already. You have to um, create listings based on that research. I don't like to make any decisions uh, that are guesses. I always uh, teach to, to make uh, decisions based on data. And so um, when you do that, then you have maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 products that are based on research. Then your next step is to test those products and to see, okay, what's getting attention, what's working, what are even the messages that I'm getting from customers? Um, like I always tell the story when I first started, I was selling high-waisted shorts. I was cutting them and making them myself. I was going to Goodwill, finding them, measuring them for people's sizing and like painting them. And I was getting a bunch of messages from my customers saying, can I, can I get this package by May 15th or April 30th? Cause that's when Coachella or Bonnaroo or certain raves were. And I was like, wait a minute, everybody's buying these products for a rave or a festival. So how can I incorporate different products into my shop to further appeal to that niche? Cause they're already in my shop. How do I get them to spend more? And it turned out that that worked wonderfully. I've never been to a rave or a festival still in my life. And I've been selling like one of the top Raven festival wear shops on Etsy for seven years. Um, because I listened to my customer, I did the research. I was endlessly like following other shops that were already succeeding in that niche. And so, um, instead of being seller focused and guessing, like, what do I want to create? What do I want to put out there? Instead, you're, you're researching, you're collecting data and information, and you're listening to your customers wherever they're communicating with you, whether it's over messages or over by purchases or favorites or views, even like the things that are getting a lot of attention. How can you build those out? You're serving the customer and not trying to make something work that you have no evidence for. 
that like, why would it work? You don't have any proof that people actually want this thing. And that's where most sellers fail. And they quit very, very quickly is because they're like, well, I can't make it work. And it's like, well, of course you can't make it work. You're trying to push something that you don't have any validation for. Yeah. And and one thing, actually, not just uh, one thing, but uh, you know, at least one thing that I uh, picked up on that, um, touching on something that you had mentioned earlier um, uh, in, in your first uh, answer regarding that you were doing this uh, you know, yourself before you started um, uh, turning this to others. And 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 there's a, a longstanding uh, bit of wisdom that I think is key here, which is when you know when you do something manually first, it allows you the insights into okay, well, how does how does this work? How much time does this take? What how do I uh, validate the the quality of it? You know, hey, if I if I if I tug on it like this, will they split split in half? So you you get all a lot of that knowledge, and then it allows you to not only understand what it takes to automate it, but also uh, to do that at scale, and. And I'm wondering if there's a parallel there between that, which is the product, and then that with the research. So you know, from one moment, it's uh, people reaching out to you on an individual level. And I don't know just how far you can, say, extrapolate how one person's question can yield a thousand sales. But I would like to know is if, you know, how does it go from that equivalency of like the manual research where it's, you know, one, uh, one win at a time to the more... Uh, uh, research at scale where you're now observing trends on a, on a larger basis? Yeah, I would say it's everything all at once. I'd say that it's not an either or, it's an and. Um, I teach my my clients to literally extrapolate that data from wherever possible. If it's in messages, great. If it's in research, great. I have a um, an ebook called Blank to Bank and it is my tried and tested research method that I uh, teach people how to go through certain resources in order to find what's currently trending. So you should be knee deep in research, if not neck deep in research, when you're first beginning over everything else. And it, at the same time, once you start going into these different phases of you're actually making sales and you're getting these messages from people asking for a certain product or asking to get it by a certain time, like was the case for me, um, then you start using that information and you start uh, getting any, any data that you can from anywhere you can. It's all gold. And especially like once you start actually getting sales, a lot of times people have a, will have a t-shirt that has a certain design on it and it becomes a bestseller. On Etsy, you can get like a bestseller badge under your listings that sell very well. And they won't put that design on anything else. Like they'll just keep the t-shirt and they'll be like, well, I have this bestseller and nothing else is really selling. And I'm like, get that on a hoodie, get that on a mug, get that on like build it out. Um, you have to go general at first, uh, based on your research in order to, um, get the general sense of what people want from you. And then you kind of naturally can narrow things down based on purchases and what's actually happening. So it's database decisions every single step of the way. And something I've been telling, <clears throat> excuse me, telling sellers most recently is in the beginning of your business, when you first open your Etsy shop, your goal, this, this shocks people, by the way, is not to create sales. Your mindset should not be around creating a bunch of sales. It should be collecting data because in Be A Wolf Biz, like I'm trying to teach people how to build long-term sustainable businesses. And if you don't have that foundation of collected data to begin with, to, to make your decisions on your product offering, uh, then you're not going to be a long-term business. You're going to always be chasing, chasing the next thing and like trying to figure stuff out. And like my way of teaching things is, is saying, you know, take, take a whole mindset shift in the beginning take the pressure off completely. If you don't create sales in the first two, three weeks, fine, two, three months, fine. You're collecting data and there's nothing more um, valuable than that. Even stuff that doesn't work, you don't have to try it again because it didn't work. So it's all about getting that information in and being patient and removing the pressure and the stress from that situation because that's what, what makes people quit is that pressure and feeling like they can't figure it out. And their only measuring stick is sales. And I don't think that should be the case at all. I like that approach a lot. And it does remind me to, to draw a parallel where say like people get into um, uh, competitive games or competitive sports and it's like they want to use their wins to, or yeah, like winning the game to quantify their, their value. And what happens is you can take several routes to win. You can play really dirty. You can uh, bend the rules. You can cheat. And maybe the ref is looking the other way and you get your wins. You say, yeah, see, I'm, I'm a winner now. That's great. But that doesn't sustain a person long term because everybody else who knows better is growing. They're working on their skills. They're they're practicing their training. They're understanding the fundamentals. And and, and it's amazing because it's not it, it's pretty much true in, in any pursuit. If you focus on that end result too quickly, even if you get it everything suffers for it. 
I love that you said that because that's exactly what I've been talking about. And that's what I have been um, focusing many of my workshops around. Uh, a lot of my free content is on my Instagram, but that's where I usually go live and talk about this sort of stuff when, when it comes to me. Um, but I talk about the learning curve a lot and, and people for some reason expect print on demand to be different. But when you're creating any sort of new skill within your mind and, and creating new wiring, there's always going to be a learning curve. You know, people don't expect to start playing basketball and be perfect at it, right? They know when they start to play piano, it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be a learning curve, but then they start on demand and it's like, why isn't it working in the first week? And it's like, this is no different, if not harder than piano or basketball. But for some reason, people expect for it to be a super simple, easy streamlined process. And there is a giant learning curve and it can be very frustrating if you're focused on the end results and not on the process. So I try to lessen that learning curve as much as possible for people. And my goal in the beginning, working with brand new sellers is helping them realize that it's there no matter what, and that things will feel a little frustrating. And of course that sales are always the end goal. Of course, I want you to make sales, but I want you to make sales over a long period. I want you to make six figures a year. And the way we do that is by rewinding and saying, okay, to begin with, we're going to shift our mental paradigm into, um, you know, understanding the value of data first and understanding the process and understanding there is a learning curve. Um, and I, I always compare it to basketball. So it's funny you said that about sports, it's going to be a process. And I think I have succeeded really well in almost all of the business ventures that I've done, including Be A Wolf Biz, is because I pivot very quickly. I gather data and I pivot lightning fast if I see another opportunity. Like in the beginning last year, I created my Etsy Shop Master Course and I was uh, going to create courses for Etsy sellers in general. And then I got on YouTube and I started creating videos and I saw a lot of print on demand people in my comments asking questions about my print on demand side of my Etsy shops. And I was like, you know what? This is where I want to teach. This is where I want to focus. This is where I want to niche down. I never would have known that had I just gone for it, right? So you have to start somewhere, but when you find more better information, that's going to lead you to be more potent in your efforts, pivot extremely quickly and don't worry about whether or not it's going to work. If you feel that nudge, if you're collecting that data, if you know that uh, it, it's a, it feels like it could be potentially a good idea, go for it. If it doesn't work out, pivot to something else. But you're learning all the way, um, all along that journey. And it was the same way building my Etsy shops. I pivoted a thousand times with my branding, with my product offering. Uh, there were so many things that I tried before I really felt super solid in where I was. But the whole time I was making tons of money, right? Like I've been making six figures consistently on Etsy for a long time, but I started really messy and I was really messy the whole time. And I was okay with being messy because that's how I learned the best and the fastest. And I think that's where people get really afraid is they're like, what are my friends and family going to think if it looks messy or not cohesive? adhesive or whatever. That's where I really try to lessen that pressure. It's just like, who cares? Go for it and you'll figure it out along the way. I, I, I chambered a, a side comment, which is um, the Karate Kid. If there's any movie that people should really be showing in schools is the Karate Kid. Yeah. Just because that, that, that is such a huge takeaway from that. I, I still remember that lesson from, from way back when I was a kid. And I think that's a really good one for people. One thing that just like uh, I uh, stuck out to me because you were saying that people were uh, asking you for um, advice uh, more on your print on demand side. So am, am I understanding that you have other, like there's other products that you're selling to that aren't print on demand or is it a different uh, service? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I, I have two Etsy shops. They're both in different niches, but both are print on demand. Um, I, I had to uh, sort of slowly get myself out of production because I, like many people, didn't believe I could make as much money with print on demand as I could just making stuff myself. So in order to make sure I could maintain my full-time status and, and still um, make that same amount of money, I, I, for a long time, was just like slowly transitioning. And so I had thought just like, let me just teach people in general. If, if, if an Etsy shop making teddy bears wants to learn from me, fine, I'll teach them. Um, but then when I saw the print on demand sellers coming up and being like, let's, let's learn. We want to know. I was like, okay, I got a niche down because this is really where, where pe the people are. This is where my customers want me to be. And so that's where I'm going to go. I've made this mistake in the past in different communities I've been where I try to come across as like, you know, a know-it-all or at least a know-it-some. Uh, so I'm doing my best to, to avoid that. But there, there's one a through line that I do tend to want to question, um, which is the efficacy of being able to do more one-to-one uh, -one manufacturing, like how you, you would transition out of that because it wasn't 
it wasn't leading to growth. And, 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 and I, and I think about this, but I come from my own perspective, which is, you know, being, being in media, you know, I, I, I was able to find a position that was able to pay me more than previous positions. In fact, all of them put together. And, and so you do find, it's almost like the boutique strategy where, although you can't have the quantity, the, the, the quality is um, so pristine and it's just a matter of our, as long as you're, you're charging people for your time. So were you finding that there was a limitation to how much people were willing to pay for the product that you were manufacturing on your own? Or was it just a matter of like, no matter how you square it, you're just not going to make the same kind of money that you were to do were you to scale outwards? So the problem with self-production was just the ceiling, how much I was able to produce every day. There is a, pro- a bigger profit margin. But there's also 10 times more work. So you're losing that money with your effort anyways, if you're to think of it in terms of paying yourself. Um, But no, in terms of pricing, like with print on demand, um, I focus on t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. You can still get 50, 60% profit margin. It's a lot more than people assume, um, especially I use printify.com, especially with their premium, cause you get 20% off of their, uh, their, their offering. Uh, but yeah, when you do production yourself, it's, it's a ton of effort. It's a, it's a ceiling of what you're able to create. And with print on demand, there is no limit to what you're able to produce and you can charge pretty high prices, uh, relatively high prices, uh, for t-shirts and sweatshirts and things of that, that nature. If people want the designs, that's the kicker is like, people are like, is it too much to sell a t-shirt for $28? And I'm like, how in demand is it? Cause if people want it, they'll buy it for 30. Uh, I usually recommend like $22 pricing just to give you a little bit of context, but, um, the higher end t-shirts sell for 26, 28, 30, whatever. Um, but it's all about demand. It's about how much people want things. And that's why they go to Etsy to find super unique things that are like hyper trending that nobody else has yet that aren't in forever 21. And that's why my high-waisted shorts did so well in the beginning is because they weren't being sold anywhere yet. They hadn't blown up, but I knew that they would because I've always been kind of a master of trend spotting. Um, and so I, it totally blew up. They were paying $30 for a pair of shorts that I got at Goodwill for $3 and was cutting myself. Um, so that was kind of a good lesson for me. And like people will pay whatever if you've got a unique product, but that's also the kicker, right? You have to be super creative. You have to know trend. You have to put in the full-time work if you want the full-time job. It's not, it's not a thing where you can just put in a little bit of effort and reap a giant reward. I've had a full-time business because I've worked full-time on it. That's just kind of how, how it goes. So another thing that's uh, sticking out to me is, uh, the, so you, you're talking about, um, you know, identifying trends. And I think one misconception that somebody might have is that a trend is only going to be viable for like, I don't know, a week or something like that. When in actuality, they actually last a lot longer, which ties more into your 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 positioning for long-term strategy. So uh, how is it that these trends, you know, being able to identify them right away, do you notice how what there's inherent qualities that make something last uh, long-term when you're picking up on it? There are so few trends that aren't long-term. I will say that straight away. So with trends, um, when I talk about trend spotting, people are like, well, I want evergreen products. I want to build a sustainable business. I don't want to do trends. And I've tried to be more clear about this recently. I did like a whole thing on it on Instagram talking about um, when I'm stating trends and trend spotting, I'm re- I really mean in-demand spotting. And stuff that's in-demand, I'll give you a few examples. It usually lasts a few years. Sometimes it lasts 5, 10, 15 years. Tie-dye? I've been selling since 2014, like crazy. I've been selling tie-dye 2020. It took off at a rate that I'd never even seen before. And now maybe it's a little less popular than in 2020, but it's still booming. And it's been going and going and going since I started selling in 2014. It was probably going even before that. So it's one of those trends that is evergreen, but it's a trend. Um, And uh, there's botanical trend, which is like the outline kind of like um, very organic. It looks hand-drawn and it's about like leaves and flowers and all this sort of stuff. That was a trend in 2019. It was big in 2020. It's still a trend. Um, there's so many things like this that carry on and people think like, oh, trends means it's going up and it's coming down. It truly doesn't mean that it means it's in demand. It's kind of the aesthetic that people are going for. I think of trends more in terms of like 
the overarching aesthetic that people are, are wild for. And that's been things like tie dye and botanical and nature and hiking and all these sort of things that are in demand right now and will more than likely be in demand for quite some time. So this is something I'm so glad you brought up because many people are like, well, if I'm chasing trends, I'm going to have this temporary niche in my shop. It's just not true. Um, many of these products will continue to sell for years. I've, I've had very trendy products that are just in demand and they've, they've sold well for three, four, five years. I can't help but wonder if it has to do with just the syntax of, of the term trend. Has, has any other term crossed your mind? I think, actually, sorry, you might've said it, but I dropped it. It's like another term that might be able to switch out. This in-demand, um, in-demand products trend is something I use because I mean, like it's trendy, like people are wearing it because it's hip, it's cool. It's like what's trending, but it doesn't mean that it's going away. It just means that that's, what's cool right now that people want to wear. It's in demand. In a new word. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, a proponent for like, um, cor correct naming, like even, even podcasting to, to get meta cause I can't help it, which is like. If I tell somebody that I do radio, which technically I am, it's like, oh, well, you're, you're a radio guy. If I say I do a podcast, like, oh, you're cute. And then they pat me on the head. Totally. Like, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I talk to um, with other people on their show is that uh, Etsy does attract, you know, attracts a lot of crassy people and a lot of artists. Uh, it's, I mean, it's their, it's their nexus. And, and, so, and I do talk to guests and what they do is they will actually um, use or they'll, they'll speak to them and they'll work them out work out a deal where they will sell the products on behalf of the uh, of the artist because maybe the artist isn't a great marketer. And so far, I, I don't see any clues indicating that you've done this, but I'm wondering if you have had any experience in this area of maybe even some of the people that you've talked to where you know they're making the product and somebody else is marketing on your behalf or if you've been in that uh, field in any way. I have not. I've always done things all on my own, but I have heard of that. The only thing I, I don't recommend, like my clients hire even virtual assistants, because if you're having multiple people log into a shop, it puts your shop at risk um, of being shut down. Cause that's, he's like, Ooh, this is risky. Why are there so many different location logins and stuff happening? And they're very touchy about that sort of stuff. So if you are an artist and you do hire someone to create your Etsy shop, they'll be the only ones, they should be the only ones who can access it. So if you trust somebody enough and you just want to hand it off entirely, I, I don't see why that would be a problem um, if there's somebody that knows what they're doing. But if there's somebody that has prior run like websites and they don't have any Etsy experience, that would be a little bit risky for me. I would I would want to hire somebody who has built and maintained their own really uh, successful Etsy shops because that's a whole different beast than anything else. The search engine optimization, um, the way that they weigh different things in order to rank you. Like if you're trying to take uh, advantage of the organic traffic stream, there's a lot of specific things that you need to know. So yeah, that, that's kind of my take on that. Actually, I did want to touch on that too, about some of the um, Etsy risks, but uh, just to, uh, just to make sure my, um, uh, my previous question was, uh, uh, was enunciated uh, clearly. So what I'm, what I'm describing is more like the dropshipping strategy. If that's crossed your radar, we're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to Etsy. I see an artist, he's got products. I'm going to set up my own website, trying to market this person's product for them. Um, and again, I, I, I don't know how much experience you've had on that side of it, but again, same thing. If any opinions on it, love to hear it. I think it's fine if if they're to, if they're drop shipping from their website. Um, I, I don't really have any qualms against that. I think I did it with a couple shops. It's pretty common for somebody to reach out to like a successful Etsy shop and, and ask for that. Um, and it's it's just more sales for you. So I, I think why not? It's it's something that I know my audience will be will be running wondering about because this is drop shipping country. So uh, with that out of the way, so so Etsy risks. One thing I picked up on when I was uh, looking into some of your other um, you talks on Instagram, I read a transcript for another podcast you did. Is um, Etsy was not happy with people selling masks on the uh, on the website. They said, "No, yeah. we don't want people to think about that here." So tying that into the the broader questions, I mean, what are some of the risks and some of the uh, things to watch out for for people operating on the platform? Yeah, so the mask thing was funny actually. Um, Etsy had really strict. At first, they were like, "No, we don't want you to," and then they realized how large that market was. Like at one point in the pandemic, like for a month, Etsy was making more money on masks than anywhere else. Um, and they at first were like, "We don't want you to use the word COVID 
uh, pandemic, you can't use any of these keywords. We'll shut you down if you do. And then they were, they were, um, shutting certain shops down that were getting an influx of orders of masks because a lot of shops were opening just to sell masks. And then they were getting a huge amount of orders, not able to fulfill them and then shutting down and not sending anybody anything. So Etsy really paid quite dearly, uh, for the fact that they weren't prepared for this, but then, um, they started and the fact that they weren't able to guarantee that this is like a, a certified safety mask. That was another issue. They kind they came up with solutions for everything. Um, they sort they started kind of titrating sales for people if they had a large influx they would stop sh showing their listings and search results until they were caught up that's kind of how they uh, were, were validating that people were legit um, and then they started adding a little blurb to masks saying sellers cannot guarantee safety or whatever these are not medical masks so that kind of covered that um, and then they realized how much money they could make and they were like we need more people selling masks like the CEO of Etsy went on Good Morning America and we're like if you can make masks and sell on Etsy, please get on and sell them. And everybody prior was that had been selling on Etsy prior that was like being punished for selling masks. We were all like, what? So it was a wild ride last year around this time. Um, but in terms of Etsy risks, um, you know, a lot of people are worried about getting their shop shut down and they think it happens super often and they're, they're afraid of losing all their work. And, um, I'm not going to say that that does not happen. It just does not happen half as often as people think it happens. Um, and the shops that have got shut down that were really successful, typically they have a copyright infringement. They weren't fulfilling orders. They were super late on orders. Like there's usually a reason and you can get a lot of evidence on Reddit to the contrary, but you have to understand that these sellers are telling their story from their perspective. There's a lot of things that can be left out. Most of the time I've known behind the scenes stuff that I'm like, mm, that sounds like not the exact story of how it actually went. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt. I've been on Etsy for seven years, never got a shop shut down because I play by the rules and I'm very cognizant of being careful with uh, copyright and trademark sort of stuff. Uh, and it's been fine. And, and most Etsy sellers are just fine. So in terms of risk, if you're playing by the rules, you're fine. Most of the time, um, Etsy does have a, like a weird bug that they started last year where there's a bot that crawls new shops and it'll typically shut, suspend your shop within like the first or second week, even if you're doing nothing wrong. And then you e have to email Etsy and they just open it back up within like 24 to 48 hours. And that really scares people in my Facebook group. There's always like once a week, there's somebody that's like, my shop got shut down and I just opened it last week. I haven't done anything wrong. I don't know what to do. And a lot of the sellers who have already been through it are like, congratulations, this is your rite of passage. This is just what happens. So that's not really a risk, but just so everybody listening to this knows that does happen. It happened to me when I opened a test shop at the beginning of the year. Um, it just, it just happened to one of my older shops even. And I just messaged them and was like, why did this happen? And they were like, oh, sorry. And then they just reopened it. So that does happen, but it doesn't affect you, um, in any specific way that's, that's going to tank your business. Um, it's just something that you have to get taken care of right away with that. Yeah. It almost sounds like the, the, the purpose of it. And, uh, you have to forgive me if you literally said this and I'm just, um, delaying my own processing of it. Whereas like, they're just checking to see if the person is a person. And so they shut it down just to see if the person will try to set it back up. Yes, I think that's probably why. Okay, that, that's clever. I, 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 I do respect the, the sidewinding nature of it. So uh, I'll, I'll give him props for that one. So uh, I didn't mention to my girlfriend, by the way, that I was going to talk to an Etsy expert. Um, and so she did want to ask a question. How many designs do you need to start making a lot of money? I, I, the way I guess I would frame it is more like a minimum maximum. Like if, if you've seen, say, if somebody was able to actually do, you know, something, start getting the ball rolling um, with a with a limited array. Um, and conversely, if somebody had gone like way off and they split test one product 82 different ways and it says, you know what, maybe you might want to calm this down a little bit. So where have you found the 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 answers to that? Yep. And I apologize again for the background noise. It seems to be ramping up, but I want to <laughs> definitely answer this. You know, it's funny, it's drilling season here uh, as well. So I, once in a while, I look on my window and the, um, well, I don't know what they call it, but those window washers, they have those trolleys, yeah, yeah, except yeah. not window washers as drillers. And and I'm just, and I start sweating buckets because I'm I'm worried that it's going to be me. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I hear this type of noise, but of course, the second I get on a podcast, they're like, let's start drilling. Uh, but anyways, I've been trying to mute myself while you're talking, but um, it's just, please excuse it. But this is a super important question. It has to do with the paradigm shift again, because uh, it's about demand. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. And I don't mean the quality of your design, meaning you have a really high quality design. I mean, your design is in demand. 
whether it's one single word without any design element whatsoever, but it's super in demand, or it's a really intricate design that a, a high level, high level designer created. It's not about uh, how many you have. It's about how in demand it is. So I've seen shops with 3,000 sales that have three products. And I've seen shops with 3,000 products that have three sales. So it's always about demand. And that's why my foundation of everything I teach and that what I'm so passionate about is like, stop trying to do the shortcuts and use the tactics and strategies to like get your shop to be more popular when you should be focusing on being the expert on knowing the trends on developing based on your customer's feedback and where they're actually purchasing. That's how you scale. But for some reason, like that, the, the old map that I call it, that's not the way that people learn. That's not what's being taught on YouTube currently. Um, and so it's very hard for people to understand completely that that really is where the long-term sustainability comes from knowing your audience. If you go to any successful Etsy shop right now, that's that hundreds of thousands of sales, they've got one common quality. They have what people want. There's demand. Some of them have 3000 products. Some of them have 30 products. All of them have stuff that people are actually actively searching for. So in general, I say within your first month on Etsy, you should have at least 50 listings, not necessarily even 50 different designs. You can have 25 designs on two different products, but 50, the number 50 gives you enough wiggle room to test different keywords to be in different areas, to give your, your shop different opportunities to be found in search results. That's the only reason. It's not because once the algorithm sees you have 50 listings, it's like, oh, this shop has 50 listings. Let's start showing it to more people now. It's just because it gets you enough opportunity to be found. But people focus on quantity over how in demand their products are. And then they have a shop full of crap that nobody wants. Not that. that is such a waste of time. That's when people get burnt out because they're like, why isn't anybody buying my stuff? Nobody wants your stuff. You've just created 60 products that nobody wants. So overall, if you create 10 products that are super high demand, it's going to be a million times more worth your time than creating a hundred products that don't have demand. That's why trend research, understanding what's in demand is so freaking important. And then to just to add on to, to your point about having you know 50 listings is that is uh, I understand this correctly. That is the data collection right there. So you have your listing, the different SEO keywords, um, a different imagery, and just to see how it can uh, end up in, in different niches and what niches are taken to it. So in a way, that's how you're figuring out where the demand is. Uh, is is there a, a step prior to that um, to figure out the demand as well? Like you're going on and you're seeing like, what are the popular searches? What are the top sellers right now? Stuff like that. Yep. That's my blank to bank process. So you're researching bestsellers. You're going on Google trends, Pinterest trends, Etsy, Pinterest, and AliExpress. I take you through that uh, in my ebook. And that's your, your research that's going to allow you to create informed decisions about what your beginning products are. If you just shoot in the dark with your beginning products, you're going to have a bad time. So researching prior to that, and then to put it to terms, I call it my scientist detective gymnast phase. So in your scientist phase, that's when you're putting stuff out to test. You're literally being a scientist and saying, on my research that I've done, I'm going to make informed decisions, form hypotheses with my listings that I'm putting out there, and I'm just going to get curious. I'm going to see what happens. That's your scientist phase when you're when you're testing, testing, testing. And 50 listings, you're right, is enough to allow you to test accurately and effectively. Then you kind of move into the detective phase. And by the way, you're moving through all these phases constantly throughout the lifetime of your shop. It's not something you just do once. The detective phase is when you're literally holding a magnifying glass to your listings and saying, okay, what's worked? What hasn't worked? What are my customers saying in messages? What am I seeing happen in general? Where's the attention? And then when you gather that information, you're able to move into the gymnast phase, which is your flexibility. That's when you're like, okay, I have this information instead of saying like, mm, that's working, but I don't really want to sell it. So let me try all this stuff. You're saying this worked. So I'm going to be flexible and, and follow what my customers are telling me that they want through their purchases and through their attention. So it's not about you as a seller. It's about what your customers are telling you they want. What's in demand. I sound like a broken record, but I can't repeat it enough times. It's so important that you build your shop this way as opposed to your own personal preferences, because that's how you scale. By all means, if it needs to be reiterated, by all means, uh, reiterate it as much as possible. I, I've noticed this, this uh, off topic, but like, because uh, I, I worry about like, I'm being too patronizing sometimes if I'm really repeating a mantra. And then there's times where I don't say it enough times, then it just goes forgotten. So I'm like, all right, guess I'm going to be patronizing. <laughs> right. Actually, before I even uh, ask that one, I just want to point out too, because I was looking at the um, uh, at the products that you have for sale. Yeah, your book's pretty reasonably priced too. It's just like 20 bucks and it can it can go a long way for helping somebody uh, you know, get the ball rolling. Yeah. Sorry, I said it again. No, 995. The blank. Oh, okay. 
Oh, I might have sounded, I don't know, I guess I hallucinated an extra one there. <laughs> yeah, 995. I have a, a right. quarter bump. You can add on like one of my listing photos masterclasses. That's like 27. Maybe that's what you saw. But the book itself is 995. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I do hallucinate from time to time, so. Now that Shopify has upgraded to version 2.0, we needed to make sure we were up to speed. So we've released version 4.0 to ensure that we're 100% equipped to take advantage of the 2.0 revolution. If you haven't upgraded your store, head on over. And if you haven't gotten started, now's as good time as any. So here's one that I, that I was curious about, just like your, your, you know, your, your, your take on this. Uh, I have to say, I, I don't know, my stereotypical viewpoint of Etsy is that Etsy is a, is a popular platform, but it didn't occur to me just how popular it really is. From your point of view, what have you seen about it that, that, is, that has made it so successful? Is it their marketing? Is it word of mouth? Is it just they're organically growing because they have such a, a rich um, selection of, of quality product? Yeah, um, I think it's a collection of things. It's a great question. Uh, the first thing that sticks out into my mind is the fact that it has a direct integration with Google. So if you type in butterfly shirt, you're going to see a hell of a lot of Etsy listings that come up first and foremost. And that's why it's so valuable from my perspective is that people don't have to be shopping on Etsy to buy from Etsy, right? Like they don't have to be in Etsy typing in butterfly shirt to find an Etsy butterfly shirt. They simply have to type it into Google. And that's why people say like, should I even sell men's stuff? Like men, men are on Etsy. And I'm like, yes, they are through Google. Even if they don't know that they're on Etsy when they're purchasing it, if they want it, they're going to click on that listing and buy it. Uh, so that's, that's one of the ways, I don't know how Etsy pulled that off. They really made an agreement with Google, um, many, many years ago that has, has stuck around and, and now it's kind of integrated with their offsite ads, which is a whole different beast. Um, so you do have to pay if you get a Google click, but it's so worth it from the traffic that it brings in. So that's how I think they've stayed relevant in a broader perspective. That's how they continue to grow, especially with the masks thing. Like Etsy jumped from 60 million per year to 80 million plus, probably way more at this point over the pandemic. Um, so I also think it's popular because people know that's where you can customize things. If you want to go to get, go somewhere to get something customized. Yeah, you can go on Amazon, but Etsy is really, that's their bread and butter is like customization. The third thing is it's trend-based, like it's Pinterest culture, girls and, and, guys and anybody that wants stuff that's unique, that's trendy, that they're not going to see everybody else wearing, they can find it on Etsy. So I think they've done a really great job of positioning themselves and pivoting when they need to and really taking advantage of opportunities. Like even with the mask thing, it, we have to kind of, sellers have to pivot with Etsy, but they are really good at what they do at the end of the day. And I think they're going to just continue growing. I don't see it going down anytime soon. I, I did not know about that um, that Google integration. Uh, that 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 definitely um, connected a few synapses in my in my brain. So uh, that that even and the other answers too uh, also significant. But I did not that did not occur to me one bit. So here's another uh, bit of insight uh, I found because um, you mentioned so you're doing uh, multiple stores and mind you you know again we have one of the top sellers here on the program today. So uh, I, I I certainly. Uh, uh, see that, but I've also seen the argument for sticking to one store, and that sounds to me like sticking to one store is ideal for uh, starting out. So the 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 counter argument, I suppose, for multiple ones, even at a starting point, is an extension of that split testing. Is you know trying different branding, different writing styles, different motifs. So have you seen just cause for starting multiple brands at an early level, or at what point do you recommend it's worth doing? You're nodding your head. Oh my gosh. I, I love this question. I've been talking about it constantly. Everything you're asking, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. So with this, I, I tell, I tell my students do as I say and not as I do, because there's nothing I recommend against more than opening multiple shops. Um, I did it because I didn't know better. And I made all the mistakes that all of my current students are making, right? Like I've been there. That's why I'm so adamant of telling people like, please don't do this. I did it. It didn't work. Right. Like just, yeah, listen so, just so you know, I, I really try my best to be like counter gotcha. I'm like, this looks like a gotcha question. I'm going to make sure it does not sound like a gotcha, no matter what I do. So. No, not at all. Um, I, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's not the right strategy in the beginning. Beginning. Um, my, I think most famous tagline that, that sticks out to people a lot is, is when you think in the beginning or even not in the beginning, when you're uh, creating a second shop, you are assuming that you're 
doubling your potential, you're actually cutting it in half because the energy and time it takes to scale one Etsy shop is so big that when you're trying to do two, you're going to get lost in the sauce. It's not going to happen very easily. And so I opened a second, got a kind of got stuck in this very specific niche where I was like, well, it's working. I don't really want to shut it down. So I'm just going to let it run. Um, but there's nothing I suggest against more. Well, I guess running ads is not something I suggest either in the beginning. Um, we can talk more about that, but opening a second shop, I'm so adamant against because people think they're missing out. There's the FOMO happening where they're like, what if I don't try this? Or, or they say like, I don't want to try multiple niches in one shop because that'll look messy. There's so much behind that too. Like people aren't going to your shop homepage most of the time. They're finding your individual listings and search results. So it doesn't matter if your shop's a little bit scattered and the top Etsy shops usually have general stores with a lot of different niches within them. It just doesn't matter at the end of the day. So in terms of branding and testing all of that sort of stuff out, your aesthetic and the way that your shop looks and feels. My shop, the very first year that I had it open, probably went through 50 different iterations of branding because I was tweaking it as I went. I was pivoting. I was like, oh, let's go here. Let's try this. Let's go here. It, as I went up the ladder of figuring out what my customers want and was more stable in what my shop was mm -hmm. through testing and research, then I was able to make more informed decisions on what my branding should look like. Most people will jump into it. A lot of people will spend like like a few months planning out their listings and what their branding is like, and then they'll launch and it's crickets. They've got perfect everything, right? But perfect isn't effective on Etsy. It's got to be messy in order to, to collect that information. So I always say like with your branding, start as simple and basic as possible. Get placeholders for your banner, for your logo, whatever. Even for your shop name, not that important. You can change it twice. So get a placeholder for a shop name, focus on collecting data first and foremost, and focus on creating listings that are in demand. And all that other stuff will come later. But it is the fun stuff in the beginning. People want to focus on like, let me get business cards and let me create, let me hire someone to create a banner. You don't know anything yet. You can't build a business without knowing anything yet. You don't even know what your shop is and you shouldn't. Um, so when you do know what your shop is before you even open, that's when people run into problems because what they want their shop to be is not necessarily what their shop should be or what people are wanting from them. Like if I had stuck to my high-waisted shorts shop, I would not be speaking to you right here today. If I had been like, no, I want to sell high-waisted shorts. I'm just going to stick here and, and try to make this work. I would not be here. And I would not be teaching other people how to scale on Etsy because I would probably not would have not made it to six figures. Um, and it was because I pivoted so easily and quickly and followed my customers little nuggets of, of hints of where, what they were wanting from me. It was because I was so flexible in that gymnast phase that I was able to scale very quickly. And that's probably the most challenging part of my job working with clients is convincing them to be more flexible because people are so set in making what they want to work, work. Right. And, and one thing I picked up on, cause I did look through your, your Instagram too, is that people will say like, why is it not working? But because they no, wait, it was your Instagram. It was another podcast you did. It was like, why isn't this not working? And you said, well, did you, did you follow what I said to, to the T? Like, no. So, and that, and that's, and that's just it. Like they have to, they really have to follow the the steps and, 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 and again, you know, this is, this is Etsy and there's a, there's a creative, um, um, motif to all of this. And in a way I, I, I appreciate the idea that, you know, in keeping with the artistic, um, uh, theme is, you know, art can be messy. The creative process can be messy. So, a messy homepage isn't the worst thing. So I, that's just like a, that's just like a side comment. But yeah, like I, I think what happens is people really want to go about their own way, and especially being in the creative space, that creative drive is very difficult to to tame. Um, but it sounds like this is okay. Look, if, if you're gonna veer off, you do that later once things are established, and then you get more into a fun phase. And I think people get impatient and they just want that sooner. One hundred percent. The fun comes after you've collected the data, right? After you're you're set. And and like once I got onto the festival and rave um, trail, I was like, perfect. Now I know where I can focus down and then have fun with it. But in the beginning, you know, like it's not to say it's not fun. You can absolutely have fun, but the fun stuff in terms of like the branding and the colors and the and feeling like a real business that comes when you have real business foundations in place. Um, and I think a lot of people too, they want the branding and the business cards and all of that because they launch and they'll launch an Instagram, which I also highly recommend against. And then they invite all their friends and family. And they're like, if I don't have the branding and the colors and the business cards, I'm going to feel stupid because they're just going to think I have some silly little business. So I tell people, leave friends and family out of it entirely. Like, don't even tell them you're on your laptop a lot more. That's all they're going to think. You don't have to tell them anything. And so then that takes that pressure off of being like appearing like a real business because who cares what other people 
people think anyways. Um, so I just tell people the mindset going into it is, is absolutely 100% the most important part. You're collecting data. You're not caring what anybody else thinks. You're not focusing on branding. All you care about is your customer and how you can best serve them. And as you get through this learning curve, it's a ladder. You have to go through each rung. You cannot take any shortcuts. You have to go to each rung of the, of the ladder and people want to do the quantum leaps. And it's just not something that uh, will get you there. And, and you can't quantum leap in basketball either. Like some people are naturally good at basketball and that's cool. Some people are naturally good at knowing what's in demand like me. That's why I scaled very quickly is because I, I had a really natural sense and I already was doing my scientist detective gymnast phase before I even had put terms to it. Um, so some people are going to be naturally better at it than others with anything. Most people will have to work the processes and love the processes over the outcome before they hit the same results. That's that's all fantastic. I, I have nothing to, to add to that. I'm just I just think that's great. I wanted to make sure I asked you uh, about the paid ads briefly. Was it the same thing as multiple stores where you were just running the ads and just uh, felt like doing that? Or are these some, or, or is there a way that you're able to effectively deploy them now? Yeah, let's talk about ads. Again, most people's structure for creating their shop is they come up with a bunch of listings. They don't do any research. They, they come up with a bunch of stuff that they want to sell. And then they launch their shop and then they turn ads on. And they say, okay, why isn't this working? No one's coming. I have ads on. I'm doing everything right. And I'm like, you're actually not doing anything right. You're doing everything right in regards to like how you think it works, but it doesn't work that way. Ads are icing on the cake. Ads work. They totally work once you have organic traffic and sales already. So I make a lot of money from Etsy ads. I especially make a lot of money from Etsy offsite ads, which is the Google, the, the Facebook ads, all of that sort of stuff. Um, but there's promoted listings, which are Etsy listings. And then there are um, offsite ads, which are when uh, they're, they're pushing it to other platforms and you're paying for each click. With promoted listings or offsite ads, they're only effective once you already have an established shop organically. So I always tell people, just focus on the process now. Don't worry about the ads. Focus on getting to a place where you're comfortable with it, where you're at consistently. And by the way, totally possible to get there. There's 80 million people. I always have to throw that in. Like I promise it's possible. Um, and then once you're at that place, you turn your ads on, which by the way, the ads use the same, um, algorithm to rank you as organic search engine optimization. So if your organic stuff isn't really working, your ad stuff isn't really going to be working. So it doesn't make logical sense to think that you can just start a shop that's so-so and then drive traffic with ads. And even if your ads are effective, you're probably driving uh, these people to listings that nobody really wants because you haven't done any research on what's in demand. So it's the circle of like all this stuff that like if you just started the way that you should from the beginning with the right mindset and the right uh, uh, determination to collect information instead of create sales, you could save yourself a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of frustration. And one macro takeaway that uh, I, I would summarize is how um, freeing and even like relieving it is to hear that a person doesn't need to do these certain things right away. You don't need to run ads right away. You don't need Instagram. You don't need your own website. Totally. None of those things yet. You don't even need multiple stores. Uh, you just need to figure out what it is people want to buy. Once you do that, and then, then, then the ball yeah. starts rolling. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I actually feel a palpable sense of relief just, just hearing those answers really. And you know what? I, I work with a lot of people, like I do private coaching. And, and when I tell people this, I see it in their face, just like I can see it in yours. They're just like, Oh, that feels so nice. Like I get to have fun. I get to take the pressure off. I get to know from somebody that's already been there, done that, that all of this stuff that I'm supposed to be making work isn't going to work no matter how hard I, I try. And so I always love being the bearer of that good news. Like just relax and have fun, be open and let it take the time that it needs to take. This isn't a race. There's a learning curve and you have to accept it before you take off and you will take off if you can love the process and, and learn the process. We, we've done an hour. And I, my, one of my philosophies is I always want to run out of time before I run out of questions and, uh, and, and we're closing it. If I can steal you from here, like another five or so minutes, uh, this is off. To, this is like a whole other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I was curious about this. So, um, one thing I'm aware about is that you were homeschooled at once in a while, we get to talk to people in the education field, like they're on like Udemy now teachable, they have prior teaching experience. And one insight about education that I had attained earlier on the show is one of the most important things for people growing up is the is the structure of school, even if like lessons, you know, this lesson might stick, this lesson might not. I barely remember anything from going to elementary school except how to sew. For some reason, that came through. Um, but a lot of what I'm good at now um, I was all was all self-taught really on my own time. 
and uh, and, I'll, and I'll get to the question, but you know, I'm kind of uh, uh, letting some things out of my system. And one thing I actually found kind of funny, uh, I realized this like a couple of weeks ago. People are like, man, you know, you know, you know, it sucks just growing up and having to get more responsibilities. I'm like, I've never had more responsibility than when I was in school. Okay, it's a nine to five position plus homework. Okay, it's like a sixty hour commitment per week, and we weren't being paid. Like, like that's a commitment has actually like eased up over time. So, so all of that out of the way. In your experience, I'm wondering about how was the structural uh, component of homeschooling? Um, was it still like, okay, hey, it's eight o'clock, time to learn. All right, three o'clock, you're still done. Um, so, but I also understand it's a more of a freeing experience as well, more of like uh, encourages you to be more independent. So with that frame of mind, I really like to hear about your experience being homeschooled. Yeah. So I was homeschooled until I was 15. And then I did a program called Time Start where you, you go to college extremely early. And I actually... Uh, was able to graduate with my bachelor's at 19. So like lightning fast educational experience. Um, but in terms of homeschooling, there really wasn't a ton of structure. Usually wake up around 10, you know, eat some breakfast, do whatever. My mom was not super strict about structure, um, but she also trusted us. She knew like me and my siblings were always very smart. We were always very like on top of things, very um, self-reliant. And and we we understood how important it was to do what we needed to do. And we always got it done. Um, and we're, we've always been very like self-motivated as well. And I think being homeschooled really helps that. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of structure and I can barely even remember how it used to be. Um, once I got into college, it was a real shock. I didn't like it. I hated it actually, because it was, there was so much structure. I was like, what, I have to be there by 7am. That sounds awful. Um, so I, the whole time I, uh, you know, I did even college really early. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to do it. If I had it my way, I wouldn't have done it at all just because, um, I knew I always wanted to own my own business. And I'm like, if I need to know something, I want to learn stuff that I know will be applicable to my future. So I did it because my parents wanted me to, um, looking back, it's like, it's whatever I got it done quickly. So that's fine. And my mom's like, you'll always have your bachelor's to rely on. And I'm like, I don't care about my bachelor's degree. And I'm not doing education. I'm just saying for me specifically, I learn best uh, by researching myself. And when I'm motivated to learn something, because I know it's going to apply directly to my life and what my goals are, um, I'm 10 times more likely to retain and, and really understand that. Uh, but when it's forced upon me, I have a hard time. So does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And, and, and I, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not trying to like attack uh, education either, at least not anymore, but you know, for me, like I'm, I'm independently minded as well. And so like, you know, I was in uh, elementary school, I was in high school, did college. Incidentally, I graduated at 19 as well. So, you know, I got out of my system as, as quickly as I could. Uh, but nonetheless, I still had eight years of structure, four years of structure where people had knives and then, you know, two years of structure where everybody was high. And it's, I, I, this is a, this is a a through line. This is not the end of the, of my, uh, my, my analysis on it, but my, my, my position is, you know, now is okay. You do have people who do need that structure, but you will have people such as yourself, for instance, who are going to thrive in, in their own way. And I think some of that has to do with your ability to really provide your structure for yourself. 100%. And I really, um, I don't really require structure at all because like you said, it's like a non-structure structure that I've got going on. I want to be able to do what I want to do every day and like structure it for the day. And then I want the next day to be different. Like I really like that free flowing type of freedom really. And that's what works best for me. And that's some people's worst nightmare. <laughs> and I get that. Um, but for me, it's like, there's nothing better than just being able to decide what I want to do and what I want to learn when I want to do it or learn it. I appreciate your take on that. Um, and it, it, and it is an inspiration. Uh, I'm, I'm privileged to be in a position where I get to really be inspired on a, on a week to week basis. I'm it's, uh, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm drunk off of it or anything like that, but if anybody's ODing on inspiration, I might be the person. Yeah, to, yeah. That's awesome. So with that, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this one up. I'm exceedingly grateful for your time. Again, you've relieved me of certain, um, uh, anxieties in my mind. Not, not that they're not like hygiene where you cut one down, two more pop them in its place, but I'll deal with that on my own. So my, my wrap up question to you is same wrap up question. I don't know, once in a while I veer off at whatever is if you have any, oh, actually I am veering off this time because I wanted your take on something. So this is summarizing a lot of what we talked about, which is it's market first. 
right? It's it is about figuring out what it is. So in a way, we actually kind of basically answered the question. So off uh, counter beer. So let's try this again, Joseph. So if there's any other bits of wisdom or just like a Chinese proverb you really like, you're more than welcome to share it with us, and then let the audience know how they can see more of uh, what you do and learn from you. Maybe even get in touch. So my favorite Chinese proverb is "Your ego is not your amigo," and that is that's pretty good. Um, absolutely what gets in people's way the most often that I see like you're and you don't you might not even be aware that it's your ego but the decisions that you're making based on what you think you know are leading you to trouble they're leading you to your ultimate demise so I I always tell people just get super flexible get open create space in your own mind for possibilities that maybe you haven't even considered collect data like a mofo and always put that ahead of everything else. Like the more you can continue learning and gathering data from your audience, the faster, higher, better you will scale. So set everything else aside. It just, it doesn't matter. And you don't know what you don't know. The sooner you can accept that, the faster you're going to take off. All right. And then uh, the other side of it is how can the audience find you? Yes. So I'm at Beowulfbiz, B-E-A-W-O-L-F on Instagram. That's really where I'm most active, where most of my free content is. Um, I'm Beowulfbiz on YouTube as well. I've got a lot of good stuff going on there. Um, I actually have a free quick start program. If somebody's like brand new and they want the answers to the most frequently asked questions, I have a five video series that I always suggest people start with. So, or my ebook blank to bank. So you can get all of these links on my Instagram. It's really where I, I suggest most people start connecting with me. You can always DM me there as well. If you have questions, I have a a, a Facebook mastermind group as well. Um, that link is in Instagram too, but it's, it's, uh, just be a wolf biz on Facebook. You can find me everywhere. Be a wolf biz. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of what I got going on right now. Okay. Terrific. And with that, uh, one more thank you for the road. And then to my audience, uh, as always, it is an honor and a privilege to collect this information and share it with all of you. And so take it, run with it and, um, let me know how things go. Who knows? I might be able to interview you guys next. So with that, take care. And we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.